Hi, uh, this is Seema Verma again um, with Dr. Artis, and I welcome back to continue the topic on what he knows best. And this time he's going to be talking about remdesivir and what the protocol and all the stuff that he knows so well about. Uh, welcome back, Dr. Artis. Well, thank you very much for having me back, Seema. So um, I, I have seen your recent other podcasts and interviews and stuff. You talked a lot about remdesivir. Um, and, you know, I know that it's been kind of a general um, antiviral medication that's been protocol to use in all circumstances now. And a lot of deaths has been associated with it. They've been talking about, you know, patients getting sick with uh, kidney damage and liver damage and other. So can you tell us a little bit about the background of remdesivir and what the impact is, what's happening now? Sure. Yeah, great question. And a very relevant topic, seeing how just a couple of weeks ago, the FDA decided to approve remdesivir as the only treatment for COVID-19 in newborns at 28 yeah. days old or older. Uh, so, yes, yeah, it's very relevant. Uh, and it's the only approved, FDA-approved COVID-19 treatment is to inject yeah, remdesivir into the veins of children in America. Why would they do that to babies when they're already healthy and functioning? I mean, the, the chances of them even getting sick with COVID is non-existent. And yet now they're pushing that. I mean, it is very, very scary. And, I'll, you know, there's another story that I'll come back later. But it seems like CDC has total control over what's happening um, once you get admitted to the hospital. Yeah, it's very true. So I'll go through some of the history there of remdesivir. So from November of 2018 to December of 2019, there was a year-long study done with four experimental drugs to be used in four different regions of Africa for the Ebola virus. That actual study was completely funded by Anthony Fauci's NIAID department, and it included four drugs, remdesivir, which they called an antiviral experimental drug, and three different monoclonal antibodies. And they were called Regeneron, ZMAP, and one called MAB114. So those were the actual four experimental drugs halfway through the year-long study treating Ebola patients that they were only diagnosing with Ebola with a PCR test, which doesn't look for Ebola virus, but that's what they were using. Uh, they actually found halfway through the study that remdesivir, was the only drug that had an over 50% death rate in the experimental group. So the, the actual safety board pulled remdesivir halfway through the one-year study and said no other Africans can get this drug because it was proven to be so ineffective and dangerous and deadly. ZMAP was the other drug at the same time that was pulled that had a 49.7% death rate, and that was an experimental drug, monoclonal antibody put in by DARPA our defense contractors here in the United States. Those two drugs were pulled at the same time. That study publishes in December of 2019. The very next month in January of 2020, our NIH and our federal government gave Gilead, who makes remdesivir, the opportunity to do another trial with their failed drug called remdesivir for COVID-19 patients. And they took 53 COVID-19 PCR positive patients from around the world, actually, from multiple countries, and they gave them 10 days of remdesivir to treat COVID. And this study went on from 
January of 2020 to March of 2020. And what they found was 31% of all people they gave that drug to before day 10 developed multiple organ failure, kidney failure, septic shock, hypotension, and several had to come off the drug early because it killed their liver and their kidneys, and they had to have emergency kidney transplants from the drug. So this was the drug that two months later, after the Gilead study publishes that 31% of all their patients are developing multiple organ failure with this drug, it's selected in May of 2020 by Anthony Fauci as the only drug to treat all COVID-19 hospitalized patients. When I saw these two studies in May of 2020 is when I went into the media and started doing uh, presentations on the actual research studies, going through the research data and showing the entire world that remdesivir was a toxic drug known to cause acute kidney failure, liver failure, heart failure. And this was going to be the main reason why most people died with the hospital protocols for COVID, not because of the virus they were going to be going into the hospital being diagnosed with. So that's what I've been doing since May of 2020. Came, as a matter of fact, in November of 2020, five months after I'm going crazy in the media doing 50 interviews a, a week on remdesivir poisoning, the World Health Organization actually publishes their own uh, review and recommendations for remdesivir use in COVID-19 patients worldwide, and they actually stated they do not recommend remdesivir for hospitalized COVID-19 patients of any kind. That was the World Health Organization's view of remdesivir, that it was not to be used. It was published all throughout the media in my presentations. I have Forbes magazines. I have NBCs that actually were sharing that information from the World Health Organization. It's still fast-forwarded to be the only drug still even today in America that is FDA-approved now to treat all COVID-19 patients two-plus years later. How can uh, FDA approve this when there's enough literature there that it's deadly? Yeah, what's amazing is October 22nd of 2020 is the actual day that the FDA approved remdesivir as the only antiviral drug for COVID-19. Before that, it was just an experimental emergency use authorization for that drug. But on October 22nd, 2020, the FDA approves it. The very next week is when the World Health Organization comes out and says, no one should ever use this drug for COVID-19 hospitalized patients. There was a huge VA study done with thousands of military uh, retirees, the VA found that it had no impact on COVID-19 mortality or outcomes. It only made people sicker longer, and they had to be in hospitals longer. That's what they found was the end result for their COVID-19 review in the summer of 2020. The World Health Organization says no. The VA says no, but our uh, FDA says yes, and Anthony Fauci says yes. And at the same time, after it gets approval, then we can start shipping it outside of our country to other countries. For the first 10 months of the pandemic for 2020, we were the only country using remdesivir in all COVID-19 patients. And we were the only, only country in the whole world at the end of 2020 that had over 500,000 dead COVID-treated patients. For any country in the world, we still are the only country worldwide with over a million dead-treated COVID-19 citizens no other countries even close, not even within 300,000 of the total deaths that we've seen in uh, American-treated, hospitalized COVID-19 patients. And it is the combination of remdesivir with the sedation drugs to intubate. Uh, and they have five different drugs they're using in combination around this country to sedate COVID-19 patients. And those sedation drugs over time suppress your ability to breathe, stop your heart beating. It's a euthanizing protocol along with 
the multiple organ failing side effects of remdesivir. So if all the doctors have access to this data, why do they do this? Because it seems like, okay, you know, you have Fauci who seems to be a mass killer at this point, right? Definitely. And is sanctioned by the government and all the hospitals, you know, they receive incentives to treat it and the CDC is behind it. Uh, and I guess if they don't follow the protocol, they're uh, at risk of losing their license. But at some point you would think with thousands and thousands of doctors all across the nation, there would be enough backlash saying, we're not going to treat this with this. Why hasn't there been enough outcry over it? Yeah, there's uh, two primary reasons why you're not seeing more people outspoken. In fact, Dr. Peter McCullough gives these statistics almost in every lecture he does. Uh, he says, there's a million licensed medical doctors in America, but we've only heard from less than 500 at any point who are speaking out against the mandated protocols, these horrible vaccines and the data from these non-supportive, non-proven COVID-19 injections. And it's very sad. I only have two reasons I can come up with that I'm really confident are the reasons. Number one, most of the, the doctors and the nurse practitioners in hospitals are now employees of those hospitals. And these are very large hospitals. So now they are employees. They are employed by the board of these actual hospitals and the boards tell them what to do. So the boards will tell them as an employee, you will follow this protocol. The board is being given the incentives for the hospital to follow a specific protocol. If the doctors are going against those protocols, the board threatens them with their license. The board for the hospital threatens them with their license. They lose their rights at that hospital and they will get turned into the medical board for the state, which then the medical board can suspend their license or take their license. So these are the threats. The second most common reason is the majority of medical doctors in this country, at least 90% of them, medical doctors included, nurse practitioners, they all live paycheck to paycheck like most Americans. Therefore, if they're threatened with their livelihood, they're threatened with their job to not go along with what they're expected by their employers, they are threatened financially uh, that they're at risk to not being able to provide for their family. This has been a great setup for many decades. So they know they've got these people squeezed into a, a system that they have very little liberty to exercise practicing medicine inside of it anymore. So talking about incentives, you continue to say the CDC is involved. Who's really, I think, most complicit in the hospital protocols is the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. That's CMS.gov. The Centers for Medicare, the Medicare organization is actually incentivizing all hospitals in the country with a 20% add-on bonus if they'll just pick remdesivir as the drug treatment for all Medicare-aged patients. Now, the 20% add-on bonus is not just for the use of that drug. If the hospital gets a positive diagnosis of COVID-19 for someone 65 years and older and then puts them on remdesivir, they will get a 20% add-on bonus to the entire hospital bill for treatment diagnosis of the COVID-19 elderly patient. Not just for remdesivir, the whole hospital bill will have a 20% add-on bonus if they just pick remdesivir. Now, this is still on CMS.gov's website. I've been exposing this to legislators, state reps, senators, you name it, around the country, not stopped for the last two years, that Medicare is incentivizing all hospitals to poison their elderly to death with this drug called remdesivir. 
And when I show them the FDA documents, the NIH documents that show remdesivir is the only singular drug allowed to be an antiviral for COVID in all hospitals in the country, I look at every state representative and I go just like this. So I have a question for all of you. If it's per these documents, the FDA and the NIH says there's only one drug and one drug only hospitals can use for COVID-19 hospitalized Americans. Why is Medicare having to bribe the hospital with a 20% add-on bonus to use the one and only drug <laughs> that they're yeah. saying is approved? So it doesn't make any sense. And the senators and legislators all look at me and go, well, why would they do that, Dr. Artis? And I'll go <laughs> just like this. Well, why would anybody do that? And sorry, there's landscapers outside, but they, yeah. I would say, well, why would anybody do that? And this is when they would answer for themselves. They'd go, well, it sounds like they want to murder the elderly. And this is exactly what I say. Yeah. You know the drug, like I just showed you, causes multiple organ failure, acute kidney failure, septic shock, and hypotension, and kills kidneys. That's what we know. So, so why would you be bribing hospitals to use it in elderly? And it would be only one reason, and that would be to, it would be a massive eugenics program to murder a lot of innocent elderly people in hospitals. And that's really mm-hmm. the whole incentive. Then why do it to the young babies then? I mean, why carry that all the way through? Yeah. Yeah. Let me explain that to you because when I, I actually had a different view of this than most people thought I would. So January of this year, 2022, January 21st, the FDA came out with this emergency use authorization now. So on top of FDA approval for hospitalized elderly patients with COVID-19 and adults, they then came out with this new emergency use authorization just a couple months ago, five months ago. And it stated that now remdesivir is the only authorized drug to be given to newborns that are seven pounds or heavier in America in all pediatric age ranges in hospitals, outside hospitals. It's the only drug authorized to treat COVID-19 children, newborns included. Wow. Then it said, we're also moving remdesivir now, not only simply in hospitals, we're taking it from hospitals and we're now going to allow it to be the only drug administered for COVID-19 nursing home victims. Then they said, we're also banning all monoclonal antibody infusion centers around the country. And now remdesivir is the only drug that can be used at these monoclonal antibody infusion centers around the country that has almost a 100% success rate treating acute acute COVID patients. So when I read this, this is not a joke. Everyone wanted to interview me and find out what my thoughts were about this new emergency authorization for children. They knew I'd be disgusted by it. You want to know what my immediate reaction was? to the actual document on January 21st. This is exactly what I thought. Holy crap, we've done it. We have been so successful at keeping people scared to death to go to hospitals so they weren't poisoned to death by remdesivir, even though a large number of people did. It's nowhere near the total they were expecting. And how I read the article when I read it was, holy cow, they're now taking remdesivir out of the private sector in hospitals only Now they're taking it into the private sector or public sector where it can go down into nursing homes outside of hospitals for baby treatment. And now it can go into monoclonal antibody infusion centers as a early treatment for COVID versus having to wait for it to be late. What I actually got from the article was we've actually been victorious at helping to divert a lot of innocent people from being exposed to that horrible protocol in hospitals. Now they had to move their murdering agenda to use remdesivir and kill people. And they had to move it into the public public sector to continue to kill people. I mean, there's really no other reason why you would even advocate or suggest remdesivir be the only treatment 
for COVID-19 newborns and children when they have a 99.997% survival rate anyway. And we already know budesonide, which is a corticosteroid that you can nebulize. It's used in preemie babies that are born at two months in utero. This is how safe this drug is. It's used for preemies up to two pounds, all the way up to 100-year-old individuals, and it has a 90% survivability rate with COVID-19. Why wouldn't you just use that or suggest that for COVID-19 infected or PCR-tested newborns? Now, the only reason why you would ever push remdesivir uh, on, on a populace is to uh, But continue. don't you think that'll be noticeable when all these babies start yeah. dying? Yeah, and one of the things that they are doing, you just have to understand what they're doing is they are reducing the dose and the interval time of treatment. So the adults in hospitals are getting two five-day treatments of remdesivir is what they're authorized to get. They know by day nine, the cocktail, the combination of sedation drugs and remdesivir, the majority of people that die from COVID-19, they all die on day nine of the 10-day treatment protocol. They've got that cocktail down to a science with the body's physiology. With children, they're now doing a three-day smaller dose of remdesivir into children for just three days. Well, the problem is the actual dose per kilogram is higher in children than it is in adults for those five days, even though it looks like a reduced dose. So yes, I'm going to expect many casualties, kidney failure, liver failure, heart failure, which we already know are published findings of remdesivir's toxicity. So you think it's the government that's pushing all of this, or is it Fauci enlisting the government to do all of this? Which Fauci's a puppet, in my opinion, and uh, he's just another puppet in the system. Yes, the federal government is actually pushing remdesivir. They're also pushing the vaccine agenda. Uh, They're not ready for COVID to end by a long shot. But they're willing to murder. I mean, it's like with all the people, I would assume by now there's many, many that are aware of this, right? So yeah, we've had, I've had doctors from multiple states call me from different hospitals who work in the COVID wards to report to me that their own data for their hospital is exactly what I keep reporting was the 31% of people getting remdesivir for 10 days would either experience multiple organ failure, acute kidney failure, heart failure, or die. It is between 26% and 30% in all hospitals it is the elderly that die at those rates since the beginning of the pandemic being treated with remdesivir. So when they call me and turn that in, they actually take the data usually to their boards first and go look at what percentage of people are dying that we're treating all age groups. It's about 30%, just like Dr. Artis says in his presentations. We need to change our protocols. The administrators in every hospital around this country has told these doctors and surgeons that call me, and tell them you have till X date to get the COVID-19 vaccine or you're fired. That's the response of their employers every time. And they call me crying because they can't sit in the system anymore once they've been awakened to the data. So So my videos, it makes sense to them. It's what they're seeing when they go pull their own statistics for their hospital and their COVID wards in their hospital, and they are finding it to be exactly like I reported since May of 2020. Does the medical board have any responsibility to like execute proper, I mean, they can just say no, right, to whatever the protocols. If they Well, actually, there's protection in all 50 states underneath the CARES Act for this pandemic that protects and makes any doctor in hospital, there is zero liability to them if there is death or harm from a protocol put in from an, a, a state or nation declared in t- to be in an emergency state, which is what we've been in 
this whole time. Donald Trump called it a national emergency. Joe Biden just again a couple months ago just reaffirmed that we are still in a national emergency. And as long as we're sitting in that, these CARES Act protections for every state protect every hospital and every doctor who knows what they're doing from being being held liable for any injury or death from pandemic or national emergency declared protocols. But I think right now they're all immune. Immune, but they're not immune from criminal liability. I mean, that's very true. And we're working on lawsuits right now. This is not a joke. I just got off of a call yesterday with 10 different attorneys from multiple states. We're all working on a class action suit against the government that we believe we can win in relationship to remdesivir poisoning and this protocol throughout multiple states in America. We're working on that right now. And you would be the key expert. And I will be, yeah, I'm already signed on as the expert witness to testify. Well, that's great. I do hope that all that goes successful. Um, You're praying so too. Yeah. Uh, And you also mentioned, I think a while back, and maybe I'm wrong, is the Cobra Venom connection to any of this drug? Um, Yeah. yeah, One of the most disturbing things for me recently was uh, a couple things. So there is actually a venom aspect to COVID-19, the spike protein for SARS-CoV-2, French scientists, and Chinese scientists in early of 2020, both independently found when they ran the gene sequences for the spike protein of SARS-CoV-2, they were most identical to two venoms of two snakes, the king cobra snake and a Chinese crate venom, venomous snake. The king cobra venom component is called cobra toxin. It's one of 19 toxins in the king cobra venom that stop your body from being able to breathe, causes respiratory failure, blood clotting, you name it, all kinds of stuff. Well, this cobra toxin, if you look up cobra toxin on any toxicology website, it's known to be a cardiotoxin, which means it kills heart muscle cells, which is exactly what remdesivir does. It does it by damaging mitochondria, which are these little bitty organelles inside every cell of your body that generate energy. Well, you have more mitochondria in your heart cells than any other cells in your whole body because your heart's pumping 24-7. It needs more energy to sit there and contract. Well, they found remdesivir actually kills cardiomyocytes or heart cells and damages the mitochondria by killing what's called RNA polymerase, which is exactly what cobra toxin does. So when I actually was looking at the company that makes remdesivir, it is called Gilead Sciences. I wanted to know if Gilead had any connections to a company called Genentech. And uh, Genentech funded and published a peer-reviewed study of the King Cobra Venom gene sequencing of all of its toxins that was published January of 2020, the same month this pandemic was declared. The company that funded this study was called Genentech. Now, I wanted to know, does Gene and Tech and Gilead have anything to do with each other because they're the experts now in King Cobra Venom. This remdesivir drug from Gilead reads like cobra toxin. Not only does it kill heart cells, it actually, King Cobra Venom, increases what's called prothrombin time, which means it makes it longer for your blood to be able to clot. It's thinning your blood so you'll stroke out, hemorrhage, bleed internally. That's exactly what King Cobra Venom does, and it's exactly what the NIH publishes 
is the side effect of remdesivir. So they read almost identical. Well, what I found was is this company, Genentech, that specializes in making drugs from snake venom. They have seven patented cancer drugs just from snake venom. Genentech has two biological labs in Southern California that Gilead, who makes remdesivir, purchased those labs in 2011 and brought 55 of their executives into Gilead. They've had access to all of the snake venom research, the King Cobra genome sequencing with their connections to this company called Genentech. So I have been uh, very, very leery that Remdesivir along with from Gilead and their connections and ties to Genentech allows them the opportunity to synthetically or naturally harvest and create either synthetic versions or the natural versions of Cobra toxin, freeze dry it into a powder, a white powder that process is called lyophilized King Cobra venom, which actually looks identical to remdesivir, by the way, how it's prepared, stored, its description, both of them are identical. And just so you know, and your audiences know, for the first time ever, I just got three samples of remdesivir. They're in boxes sitting here in my house, and we're going to be taking them to labs in Southern Texas who can already test it for components found in snake venom including phospholipase A2, phosphodiesterases, zinc metal proteinases, which are all of these destructive, deadly compounds found in venoms. And if we isolate that it's in remdesivir, we should be able to prove negligence, criminality, because never was it disclosed that there were snake venom peptides or snake venom qualities of any kind inside of the drug remdesivir. And if it is, this would exactly explain why the University of Arizona Last summer, when they evaluated 300 patients who were treated with remdesivir for COVID-19, and they died supposedly from COVID-19 in hospitals, when they evaluated 300 blood samples from those that died from COVID-19, being treated for COVID-19 with remdesivir, pumped into their veins the whole time, they said when they looked at the blood, they saw this enzyme that was originally ever found in King Cobra venom called phospholipase A2. They saw that enzyme at such high levels they've never seen in chronic illnesses in humans before. They've never seen this enzyme ever this elevated in people's blood before. They said it looked like venom coursing through the veins or the body of COVID-19 patients. And then in, in July of 2021, at the end of their research study, they implored that all doctors around the world look for this enzyme as a marker to indicate mortality or higher risk factors for other people. What's also interesting is they noted in that article that individuals who have higher levels of vitamin C in their bloodstream, it totally negates this enzyme that was originally ever found in King Cobra venom that's now being found in COVID-19 patients. It totally saves the life of individuals if you have higher levels of vitamin C to combat the negative dangerous effects of this venom enzyme called phospholipase A2. So I am determined to find out if the remdesivir being pumped into these people's veins is actually what provides this phospholipase enzyme. And is it analogous to, or is it actually synthetic cobra toxin? Because I'm absolutely certain it could be. Well, I hope you get the results that you need because that would be one way to go directly, especially with your legal team. Exactly right. Yep. So that's what my attorneys are helping me with too, working on the chain of custody, making sure it's all documented so we can, it's actually hold up in court no matter where we go. So that's why I've still got them in my hands while we're working on all the detail. 
So uh, I also wanted to show you some graphs and see if you can help me figure out what it's saying. But I want to know why would Gilead or any partner companies uh, would use Cobra Venom as part of their ingredient? Yeah. yeah. What would be a good reason for that? I mean, it's only to kill, right? But why would they do that if that, you know, if their business, that this is what they're doing? Mm-hmm. Um. So this, uh, I found a little bit of information on the market share of the remdesivir. So, you know, in the United States, it's a smaller percentage than, let's say, um, India and um, China, right? So, but I want to compare this graph to the number of people that died from COVID. This is from the John Hopkins website. So the number one few countries were Mexico and South Africa that had the highest death rate. And then the US is at 1.2%. China doesn't even exist on this list, but that's where they're claiming the virus started from, right? And so I don't know why they wouldn't have put that on there. Why are they making it seem like all the way across the world, Mexico and South Africa would have the highest death rate. And even at 1.2%, it's not really that big of a difference. But then I looked at this number of people that are vaccinated. Um, You know, the countries that were had the highest death rate are the lowest vaccinated. So Ethiopia, Nigeria, Mexico, they're way less than... China, which is almost 90%, and I guess we're at 70%. And, you know, knowing now what you know with the drug remdesivir and the scam of this whole COVID thing, how do these graphs really, what are they telling us? Yeah, so let's stick with the middle one first. Go to the bar graph right there. Yep. I want to talk about the fact that China's not on the list. You ready? Mm-hmm. China still, to this day, has less than 6,000 people who have died from COVID-19 in their entire country. They have 1.7 billion people. There's been less than 6,000 have died. What's amazing about that? Supposedly, America has over a million. We only got 330 million people in our country. So how is that possible? Well, China, I just mentioned something about the cobra toxin that they found this phospholipase enzyme is inversely correlated to death and hospitalization with the amount of vitamin C in your blood. which also explained in this University of Arizona research study why men are struggling more with COVID than women because men naturally have lower, they have found, have on average lower amounts of vitamin C than women do. So they were constantly talking about the importance of vitamin C. Well, do you know how China stopped the death tolls of all their citizens from COVID-19? In January of 2020, you can look it up on orthomolecular.org. On, their act- on that website, you can look at the research studies they published. In January of 2020, China figured out that if they gave five days in ICUs to COVID pneumonia patients, if they gave them intravenous vitamin C from 25,000 milligrams in their veins a day up to 60,000 milligrams a day, 100% reversal of COVID pneumonia and all lives were spared. That was 100% success rate. Everybody went home, and that's what they have been using nonstop throughout the entire pandemic to protect their citizens. 
from dying. So that's why you don't see China on that list because China literally has been very effective at combating COVID and keeping their citizens alive. They also did not use the current COVID-19 vaccines that we are using. They actually made their own and did not allow AstraZeneca, Johnson, Johnson, Moderna, Pfizer to be used in China. They created their own vaccines, which were actually supposedly coronavirus vaccines, which ours are not. Uh, the Johnson & Johnson the closest. It's an adenovirus vector vaccine. But I have patents for that, actually, that, ex that actually have the word venom in the preparation for that actual patented COVID-19 vaccine. It actually says, mix the venom with this seed extract. And I'm like, why, why would that be in the patent for adenoviruses? Anyway, I just want you to know that's why China doesn't show up on this list. It's because they did not have people die needlessly. They used vitamin C to save all their lives. And then China actually supplied oral vitamin C to all of its citizens for the last two years. Even now with all the strict lockdowns and crazy videos that came out of China, oh, yeah. that's supposed to be helping them? I mean, the world, it's all a stage, man. And uh, yeah. we're, all, we're all open to the theater. I don't know if you know this. I have actually, my, my physical trainer here in America, in Texas, has a brother who has lived in China for 20 years. He came to visit a couple months ago. And my trainer asked his brother, who he had not seen for 10 years, what was it like? What's it like over there in China with the mandates and the lockdowns and the forced vaccinations? And he goes like this, forced vaccinations? The whole country of China, China the government said, every citizen in China has to be vaccinated for COVID-19 by X date. And if you're not, you can't go outside. You can't go to church. You can't go to a park. You can't get in a taxi. You can't get, uh, you can't travel anywhere. And, and uh, my trainer looked at his brother and said, so the whole country got vaccinated? And he goes, uh, no. The whole country stood up to the government and said, we're not doing that. And so China, the government, the CCP, backed down and did not make all of their citizens get the shots. They made it voluntary. And he looks at my, my, my uh, trainer and he goes to his brother and he goes, did y'all hear about that in the news here in America? That the communist country of China actually stood up to their government and the citizens said no and they backed down <laughs> and we said uh, obviously no we haven't heard that and he goes well they're actually hiding the true news from you in China they are not forcing vaccinations because they're the people not refuse. doing that then on this chart it says they're 89% vaccinated yep that's what it says yeah I saw that on there and I was like I wonder how many how much of that is actually accurate I mean it could be but I don't think any of this data is accurate because I looked and there were like so many different ways that they were manipulating all this but okay. what I found was interesting that um, you know the number of deaths compared to the least vaccinated are the higher ones which I don't believe that's really happening in that because remember earlier there were accounts where Africa refused to take these uh, vaccines and they had the least amount of COVID and deaths. But in this, you know, they're saying there's actually more. And then on this chart, Australia is the lowest, but they were the most restrictive oh, yeah. nation. Oh, yeah. So I don't know if they're just manipulating the data to kind of show that, hey, you know, the most restrictive nations have the least amount of deaths. But no, they would want you to think that actually. Right. Yeah, you know, they call that lying with statistics. You know, that book that's always on Bill Gates' desk when he does an interview? It's called Lying with Statistics. <laughs> yeah, there seems to be so much of that. And so at this point, I mean, I, 
want you to succeed and I'm trying to help as many ways that I can to expose it. And, um, but what do you think, you know, like just for the audience or anyone, I mean, if the news is getting out that this is a deadly drug, uh, do parents and as themselves as patients, do they even have the right just to say no and go against the CDC protocol and the doctors and so on? Yeah, that's one thing I kept touching on since January 21st in all my presentations on the emergency use authorization on page eight, I believe it is. It actually states, could be the second page, but I believe it's page eight of 42. It actually states that the provider, those that are going to give remdesivir, they have to tell the parents that they have the option to refuse remdesivir. That's the first thing it says. You have to tell all parents you have the right to refuse this drug. Then it says, you have the obligation as a provider to tell the parents that what the other alternative treatment options for COVID-19 are for their child. Only farther in the document, it says under titled paragraph, alternate treatments for COVID-19 for pedi pediatric age group. It actually states there are no alternative treatments for COVID-19 for children. So in the same document, uh, you have a statement saying you have to inform patients and parents of children that there are alternative treatments. In the same document says there are no alternative treatments for COVID-19, only remdesivir. So uh, I've been exposing that nonstop. You have every right to refuse that drug. You have every right to stay home. You have every right to use vitamin C, zinc, selenium, a multivitamin with your child, budesonide with your child to preserve their lives if you're concerned about it with COVID. Statistically, children survive COVID 100% of the time, 99.997%. You can round it up or round it down any way you want. It's still 100%. So please leave the children alone and trust God's immunity that he put in your child to be far superior to any suggested drug made in a lab called remdesivir to be injected into the veins of your child for three days or to trust a vaccine that was created in a lab to make your God-created child's DNA and immune system to work better. Uh, we've never figured out how to make the human body, body greater than what God created. So stop putting your faith in men, yeah. your faith in God and what he created, which I believe the greatest creation of all is the human body. Yeah. And God did a wonderful job and all these deceivers are taking advantage. Um, just a few more questions before uh, time is up. You know, I had a story where a friend who had a new, who had a baby newborn in the hospital and it's not related to remdesivir, but the CDC protocol uh, gave the hospital and the doctors and the nurses authority to start in implementing whatever drugs that they wanted to do for this child. Child was perfectly healthy, but because the CDC protocol says, okay, you're a high risk or something, they took authority. And then they were threatening the mother and the father that CPS would get involved if they don't follow along with. So all this power grab is what's really dictating, you know, from making people, especially vulnerable people like mothers who are just in the hospital. I mean, is, is, is there anything that we can do? Zoom cut out on me during the interview. So sorry, Dr. Artis, um, I didn't learn about Zoom 40 minute restrictions, but thank you so much for coming on and answering most of the questions that I had. Um, I had a few more, but uh, again, the time just ran out and I hope the best of luck um, for your uh, legal team and others to continue to expose this. And, uh, you know, so many people are being damaged day in and day out. And one of the things that I didn't get to share with you that um, 
they're actually uh, in other countries like India, they're, because remdesivir uh, was the choice of drug worldwide, um, many of the nations that acted like they ran out of supply went into black market in trying to find this drug and, you know, for their sick loved ones and so on. So it's kind of sad that people are actually resorting to something that's already deadly and then going into black market thinking that's what's going to save them, but what it's not. And there's a lot of medical misinformation, not on our part, but actually on their part to deceive the whole world into what this is and what the drugs are, you know, are intended for. And it's nothing good. And it seems to be all sinisterly uh, planned by all the governments. And it's coming down, at least in the United States, CDC. And even if the WHO says that, you know, remdesivir is uh, not a good drug, and our government is still pushing it and selling it all worldwide. Um, I mean, the drug itself is costing in the United States $3,000 for, uh, that's what Gilead is profiting. So, and all its partners are, you know, selling it. And if, you know, it, it's such a massive scale that it's astonishing to me that people are, you know, being deceived into taking this and actually making this a protocol when antiviral, I mean, natural remedies would do far greater good than any of these drugs, even in other studies and other comparable antiviral, general antiviral, which I didn't get to bring out with Dr. Artis, had similar uh, results. They were, you know, only effective like 50%. And so many of them would even, um, you know, have the same kind of liver damage, kidney damage and death. And if they know about this and they're doing this on purpose, then all of you, uh, you know, need to be able to stand up for yourself and just say no. And I know what the last question that I tried to ask Dr. Artis was that, you know, if CDC is uh, making this protocol in hospitals and if they raise a red flag that has to do with infectious diseases, then they gain authority to do whatever they want to do with your children and you. So that's one of the big problems I think that's being undisclosed right now, that who has the power behind all these uh, medical organizations and uh, so much control over the hospitals, the doctors, and you know they're all just now basically not even thinking for themselves, but they are following what the government, CDC and other organizations are telling them that they have to do along with the incentives uh, that Dr. Artis talked about. So this is a big deal, and I hope that many people will start to learn what exactly he's been saying all along and try to support and rally up enough people, you know, through just a word of mouth from your neighbors to neighbors to neighbors. You can tell yourself that, you know, this is a dangerous drug and be careful when you get uh, enlisted in uh, the hospitals and, you know, especially if they find any sort of way to take control over so-called infectious diseases, and it could be anything. And there's a lot of them that they have already set protocols for. They're going to take total control, and you're going to have uh, very little uh, choice of yourself. And then it's going to be mostly through intimidation and threats to try to get you to go along with whatever the protocols that they have. But you still don't have to do it. You can just walk out. You can say no. And the stronger everybody stands, the less likely they're going to be able to do anything. Thank you for watching.